From Charter Hall and Banish, this is Sustainability Further. I'm your host, Lottie DL. You're listening to Sustainability Further, a podcast by Charter Hall. One of Australia's leading property groups, Charter Hall is focused on creating innovative spaces and going further to build a better future for all. InDigital is Australia's first Indigenous edutech company. Founder Michaela Jade is a Cabrigal woman of the Daruk-speaking nation of Sydney who wants to see digital technologies used to express 80,000 years of human knowledge whilst providing people with meaningful education that leads to skills, jobs and wealth creation to build a stronger future for all. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michaela. I want to start this episode by asking you, what does sustainability mean to you? Sustainability to me means thinking about our next seven generations and whether what we're doing today is going to benefit the planet and the people that will be living on this place in 2170. Wow, that is a very succinct and probably one of the fastest answers that we've had on this podcast to date. Great. So can I ask why 2170? That will be the year when your seventh generation descendant is walking around on this planet. And in Durag and other cultures, we always look back to our seventh generation ancestor and we're always thinking about our seventh generation descendant. Um, It's really important part of our decision-making about what we do in our careers and uh, what we do on country and the way that we live our lives. Great. That's fascinating. And I love that you've got kind of a tangible timeline as well of kind of what you're doing and you can really set those goals and make it nice and clear. So you founded InDigital in 2014. What led you to create Australia's first Indigenous edutech company? It's a really long story. <laughs> so I was a park ranger in uh, the Great Barrier. So I became a park ranger when I was 18 years old. I moved from Sydney up to the Great Barrier Reef and was lucky enough to get a job with Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service. And in that role, I was responsible for visitor management. And part of that role was looking at how do visitors interact with the marine and terrestrial environments of the Great Barrier Reef, what information are we showcasing, what education programs are we looking at um, to make sure people have a grounded experience of the place. And our theory was that if they loved it, then they would protect it. Um, So we... We did a lot of that kind of work in Queensland Parks and then I was able to go and work over in Western Australia in Ningaloo and do some visitor management work over there too. And it really bugged me when we were working in these incredibly ancient landscapes, bringing visitors to these incredibly important places that we were communicating the story through a metal sign. And not only is that incongruent with the landscape, It's also incongruent with the way that our mobs storytell. And a lot of those signs were told through the perspective of an anthropologist or an archaeologist and not necessarily the people who are custodians of that place. And the stories rarely, rarely speak about why you're there and the importance of that place since time began to those people. So... I thought, imagine you could hold your phone up to a cultural place and our elders could appear in holographic format and tell you the right story at the right time, at the right place, in the right language and for the right reasons. And not only that, that we could build a sustainable business model around our cultural knowledge systems 
um, in that our elders could earn uh, a living income from being custodians of that knowledge and all the things that they've had to go through in their lifetime. So I set about building that and released that app in 2014 from Kakadu National Park where I was living at the time. And, yeah, it went kind of global and um, I was able to go and showcase the app at the United Nations in New York and I got kind of overwhelmed with the interest of people wanting to do this for their own nations and basically had a breakdown <laughs> because the, the the technology to produce this kind of content, it was incredibly expensive. So it was more than $200,000. Um, we already had a great way of sharing stories for 80,000 years, so why do we need to pay $200,000 to do that? Um, and also the responsibility of holding all that cultural knowledge, language and law from peoples from across the world was completely overwhelming to think about. So I was able to partner with Microsoft and Telstra in 2018 and reimagine what this concept was about, and I really landed on the importance of teaching our mobs how to create this content for themselves, how to be custodians of that knowledge in holographic content for themselves. So we've created a platform that enables our mobs to do that and a platform that enables young children all the way through to elders to participate in making their own content and being culturally responsible for their own storytelling in holographic formats. No, it's an amazing concept and I can completely understand how you would be so overwhelmed and feel the weight of the world quite literally on your shoulders when you've just got this idea and you're going, yeah, but I don't actually know how it's going to happen just yet. So stop being interested in it. <laughs> yeah, so the program's made up of a couple of things. There's the digital skills and digital tools. Um, there's the ethics and responsibility um, component and then there's the knowledge um, and the translation of knowledge and language. So in terms of the technologies that we use, we use everyday software that uh, people have on their computers already to create the 3D content. So one of those softwares is Paint3D. We use Tinkercad. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of programs that we use that are really targeted at children to be able to start getting their heads around creating in 3D because it's very different to just drawing on a piece of paper um, a concept. We do do that with them first. We get them to draw it in 2D first and then we play with clay and get them to make it in 3D and then we translate that into a computer software program um, where they get to make their character in 3D, um, which is great. And then we also work in Minecraft Education Edition. So they'll be shared a story by a custodian and they they then uh, get taught how to make this into a world in Minecraft. And in that world in Minecraft, we um, put lots of cultural knowledge in the world. We teach them how to make non-play characters. So they go from just playing the game to being game creators in Minecraft. And we teach them how to bring three-dimensional aspects out of that Minecraft world into augmented reality. Wow. It's, it sounds futuristic to somebody like me, but I'm sure to everybody in your industry, this is just kind of the new norm. And to children even, this is the new normal. But it sounds amazing. And I think it's so important for children to dream and to kind of think about their future and what they want their future to look like so they can go after that. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the really great parts of the program is working with kids not only to express their creativity in 3D, but also talk to them about these are real job opportunities for you, even now. See, if you can be a 3D content creator, you can host content on third-party platforms and get passive income coming through right now. So they don't have to wait until they finish school until they, they can get themselves a job or income at least. And then, yeah, there's, there's careers that there's not even language really around the careers yet, um, but there's concepts and being able to share those concepts with them and some of the some of the industry language that's being put around like the spatial web. Um, once you know that words, the words that spatial web, you can start looking in Google and finding out a bit more about the spatial web and what's, what it's all about. But without that word, it's really hard to find a career pathway in there. So, Michaela, you've just spoken about in digital schools, but what about the big kids? I feel like I'm missing out because I want to be a part of something like this. Yeah, so we have a corporate program for adults called In Digital Storytelling, and we follow a similar format um, to the digital schools program, but we really distill the content down and we're really looking at um, educating adults about what does it mean to bring your business into the spatial web and into the metaverse and what how can you intersect that with First Nations cultural protocols. The reason that we have the Big Pupils program is that uh, corporates were seeing what we did with kids and uh, were feeling a little left out, so they asked us to design something for big people too. <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's great because I think we need to dream more. We need to get out there and we need to kind of become big kids again and kind of think, well, what is possible? And like you, like when you first started this thinking like, I want to create a holographic way of telling people about the current, the land, the custodians, the land that they're on. It's something that the everyday person wouldn't think of because it's a dream, but we can make those dreams a reality. We absolutely can. Yes, I can I can imagine it's going to be definitely something to watch in the future. So teachers work closely with Indigenous elders to help them tell their stories and educate children. What are some of the biggest impacts that you've seen on children and kids? There's been so many. Picking one is really hard, Lottie. Um, well, something that was transformative and truly transformative was the work that we did at Bruni Island with the amazing Bruni Island Public School. It was, uh, it was so incredible. So they were one of the winners of the Minecraft Challenge that we had and the prizes for us to go and deliver the Indigital Schools Program um, on a little island off a big island, off a bigger island. And the community there hadn't really had the opportunity to work closely with First Nations people. And to the credit of Ashley, the principal, and Rory, the teacher um, that led the program, we were invited together with Annie Julie Dunlop and Todd Scolthorpe, um, who are uh, First Nations people from Tasmania, to come and co-design the program and the co-deliver it. The truth-telling that happened in that program was incredible. So that it, And it was real truth-telling. It wasn't um, making the stories uh, less like not telling all the truth, it was telling all the truth about what happened on Bruni Island and it was really, um, it was quite harrowing to think that a lot of the kids that were from Bruni Island were descended from people that did this to Aboriginal, Aboriginal people on Linawani. And 
um, it opened conversations for the first time in potentially 100 years where people were able to sit around their dining room tables and talk about the history of the place that they'd been living for many generations and what actually happened and the healing that happened from that was really powerful. And this year the school has gone from strength to strength incorporating uh, culture from Lunawani into their school curriculum. They changed the school anthem to include the language words together with Aunty Julie so the kids are now speaking language. And they're going on country with the Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation down there and doing cultural burns. Um, so it's just opened up this whole world of opportunity for the kids and their parents and the entire community to start rebuilding those relationships in that place. So that's something that has really stuck out to me. Another, um, another really great impact that we've seen is with Kalki State School with uh, the amazing teacher up there, Sam Ephraims, who pitched this idea of the kid for to the kids to Minecraft challenge. And it was a NADOC Minecraft challenge that we run every year that um, anchors the challenge on the theme of NADOC. And the kids decided that they wanted to represent something that had been taken away from the landscape in Bundaberg, which was these incredibly huge stones that were built as part of a fish trap in the river and the stones had been taken away over the past decades and housed in various institutions for study. And the kids took the initiative to make a relationship with the university that was holding one of these stones. Um, and the kids were able to organise to have a virtual tour of where the stone is being held and see the stone uh, with the support of the institution. And they're making this plan to try and take the stone back to the river and put the stones back. So, And that was a really large part of their Minecraft world. They really wanted these assets that have been taken from country to be returned to where they belong. So, yeah, seeing kids really um, take this uh, perspective of we don't want to just talk about it, we want to do something about it, um, was incredible. Uh, another school in South Australia, um, Salisbury North, um, developed a Minecraft world where they had a yarning circle that they designed um, for the school. And then they went ahead and built it in real life based on the design they'd made in Minecraft. And, yeah, the schools that are putting Indigenous food gardens in and incorporating the augmented reality into the food garden to share cultural knowledge about food plants, like there's just lots going on that we couldn't have dreamed about when we first came up with the concept. It's, it's amazing. I think it is largely down to children's imagination and their ability to dream without barriers and to kind of question... Yeah absolutely everything the number of questions is just that it, it sounds like there's too many but it, they're questions that we should all be asking and rather than having that oh no well you couldn't do that because of x y and z children just keep on going well why not why not why not and it leads to these amazing results and these their dreams coming true which I think is just amazing to hear uh yeah the future's in good hands <laughs> I have no doubt that the, the questions that they ask and the insights that they have like I can't remember my childhood being like that. I think they're really curious and they're really demanding action, which is something that maybe my generation didn't demand. No, it's it's amazing. As you say, the future is in good hands. So moving forward, what 
is your vision for curriculum in schools around the country? Yeah, well, I think that we have a really serious skills deficit in Australia when it comes to frontier technologies um, like artificial intelligence, like augmented and mixed reality, like anything to do with the spatial web, Internet of Things technologies. Um, there's like basically the whole field of cybernetics um, that we're being left behind on the global scale because we don't have these opportunities instilled or provided in schools. So there's this skills gap that I think is really scary actually because the the world is progressing really fast. There's massive deficit in the ability of people to do the jobs of the future and to be competitive for a job in the future, you're going to need to know these skills. So I'm a bit worried about that. The second thing is when we're building these technologies, there's very limited opportunity for first peoples to get in there and design them with developers and um, other experts. And I would like to see our school curriculum um, be way more inclusive around people's ability to shape the future and people's ability to be prepared to get in there and help build the future. I don't think there's enough opportunity in schools for kids to not just make or dream but to learn the skills that they will need to work with diverse groups of people to make these collective futures be realised. Wow. That's, those, those are two answers that I was not anticipating from you. But I am, yeah, I'm floored by both of them and I think that it would be amazing if we can see that skills deficit filled and to encourage well, to offer the ability for more people to be involved with the development of the future, quite literally. Yeah, well, there's some really compelling reasons to do that. One of them um, was, you know, the um, dispensers that dispense all the hand sanitizer that we've all needed through the pandemic. When they were first built, they couldn't detect black hands. So because people that weren't of, didn't have black skin who were involved in the design of those um technologies then a whole cohort of people misses out on being able to sanitize their hands similarly like apply that to autonomous vehicles or you know any technology you can think of if it's not technology for everyone then it's not really technology for anyone yeah no I definitely agree that's the story that I wasn't even aware of and I'm sure yeah there's there's many more examples that I'm sure you definitely list off I think we're going to have to wrap up there. I could talk to you all day about absolutely everything and anything, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Michaela. Thanks for having me. It's been great to talk, Lottie, and, um, yes, make sure we keep inspiring those kids to, to live out their dreams. This conversation is part of Charter Hall and Banish's podcast series, Sustainability Further. This series has been designed to inspire Australians to be more environmentally responsible and to take climate action. Sustainability Further is produced by Banish. Charter Hall's purpose is to create better futures by bringing aspirations to life.